And a lot of uh, things I think of when I hear Erica's story. One is from the book of Genesis, chapter 225. This is before anything is wrong with the world, before any sin has entered the world, before anybody is in bondage. And a man and a woman, woman are totally naked, Adam and Eve. And here's what it says. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. To be free would be such that you are confident in your body and you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. Right after this, they come in bondage and they start covering themselves up with fig leaves. What would it like to be so free that you are confident in your own body? How many of us, we go to the pool or something, even if you're in shape, you're sucking in your gut a little bit, you know. You feel a little shame about your little belly. How many of us might even be married, but still you don't want your spouse to ever see you fully naked? You feel shame. How many of us are not confident with the, with the body God has given us? See, these are, all, these are all examples, the tip of the iceberg of not being free, of not being open, of having no boundaries, of not second-guessing ourselves. I want to tell you right now that I am a fanatic when it comes to freedom, an utter fanatic. Martin Sheen, when he went after Charlie Sheen, who was uh, in a drug addiction at the time, Martin Sheen said, I'm a fanatic and nothing in the world ever gets done unless it's done by a fanatic. And when it comes to freedom, you need to know that I am a complete fanatic. I don't have any fears about what might happen if somebody abuses freedom. I don't have any, any qualms about wondering if somebody takes this a little bit too far. I don't have any problems wondering whether or not this is going to mess somebody up if they take this to an extreme. I am a fanatic about freedom from the start to the end. And I'm hoping that you do too in the midst of this, freedom, in the midst of this journey because you're going to be different. Let's pray right now. God, I'm asking that as I continue to talk and as we continue to uh, see things that we may not have seen before, that most importantly, we would see you and your heart for us. I pray that my words would not just be helpful, but most importantly, they would be accurate. They would be reflective of your heart for truth and the way you, you see life and the way you've created us. And I pray these things according uh, to your name, the character of the person I know in Jesus. Amen. Well, in, in the book of Genesis, the very first couple chapters, we see what the world looks like before anything is wrong. Uh, we see what it's like to be completely free, to not second guess, to not have pain, to not have bad memories, to not have fears, to not have petty preoccupations, to not be anal, to not be OCD, to not have any of these things that really keep us back. And so here's just a, a brief little picture from the book, book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says this, God bless them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was good. God's the first person who ever said, it's good. It's all good. It is all good. Whenever God creates something, it is good. It is good all the time. It is good. All good. It's all good. And God sees human beings operating in freedom. Look at the freedoms that he gives them. He says, first of all, have sex all the time and enjoy it. 
Don't worry about having it too much. Have it all the time. Enjoy it. Go out and, and actually plant gardens. Take care of the earth. And he doesn't say, try to figure out my perfect will for how to plant a garden. He doesn't say, try to figure out exactly how many strawberry seeds you're supposed to cultivate and exactly how many rows of corn or make sure they're perfect rows. No, he says, hey, you are free to make the decision how to cultivate the earth and how to plant things. He says, name the animals. He doesn't say, try to figure out what I would name the animals and name the animals my perfect will. No, he says, dude, if you want to come up with a new, uh, uh, a crazy word like aardvark, you're free to name somebody an aardvark. You don't need to check off against me. You are free to make those decisions. This is just one, one of the ways that we see that God cheerleads us having options. He cheerleads us not being held down. He cheerleads us not being bound. And it wasn't really until Jesus comes into the earth that we see what it's like to be completely free. And he is the ultimate model we're going to see over and over again. You know, we saw those Wright Brother things, those Wright Brother images earlier on. You know, you realize, obviously, for the entire course of human history, nobody ever had sustained flight leaving the ground, leaving, uh, leaving their, the ground, unless they, of course, jumped off a cliff and, cliff and died. Nobody ever was unchained and flew. And then all of a sudden, the Wright Brothers are able to fly, and within decades, human beings go to the moon. You ever notice that? Like, as soon as somebody does something, all of a sudden, there's something that clicks off in your mind, and you can go someplace too. How many of us have been watching the Olympics? You know? Isn't it amazing as you watch the downhill skiers? It's always the later runs that go faster and faster and faster, and it's not because those are always the best skiers. It's because now a new standard has been set and they realize, oh, I can do that and maybe a little further. It's the way it is with world records. It's the way it is on downhill skiing. And this is the way it is with what Jesus has done. Jesus has gone a place for us and he raises the bar. Not the raises the bar on expectations of, oh, no, I can't do this. I'm never going to. But raise the bar of, wow, it's possible to feel the pleasure of God no matter what you're doing and no matter what your past mistakes are. This is freedom. Total freedom is defining your guide when you came in today. And I encourage you, bring that guide to you, with you on the weekend services. You'll use that guide at, uh, as you do work at home. You need to take that guide to your small groups. And I love the definition uh, in the first section of what, what freedom is. It says total freedom is mean, means living freely, fearlessly, passionately, and joyfully regardless of your circumstances. Most of us only are joyful whenever the circumstances are going right for us. Most of us are only fearless when we have a helmet, a seatbelt on, and multiple insurance policies. Then I'm fearless. Most of us are only passionate if the perfect opportunity presents itself that will bring us glory. No, man, to, to be fearless no matter what, to be passionate no matter what, to be joyful no matter what, regardless of what you get or what somebody does to you or what somebody has done to you would be amazing. One of the reasons why we have not called this series Freedom is because freedom makes us think, well, yeah, of course, I have freedom. I'm an American, right? I mean, everybody in America has freedom. Well, a form of freedom that maybe other countries may not have, but just because you're in America doesn't mean you have this kind of freedom. Passionate, joyful engagement regardless of the circumstance. Well, what kind, well, what are some things that freedom would look like? Four things to just get us started in the journey. When I'm free, when I'm free, I want to be free because I'm free from irritation. When I'm free, I am free from irritation. Uh, this is one of the things that, for some reason, I've been irritated a lot. Actually, in this last week, 
this free journey is helping me because I'm noticing some things that are newer forms of bondage to me. I'm more irritated these days than I've ever been. I'm not sure why that is. And I actually can notice it. It's been happening now for a longer period of time than I'd like to admit. But when I'm, when I'm free, I'm not irritated by small things. I don't get angry. I'm not just talking about road rage. I've never had road rage. When we, te- when we tend to think of anger, we think of those huge incidences of crashing a plane into a building or something like that. But I'm talking about when someone tells you something you don't want to hear and automatically it ruins the next half hour of your life. Automatically your joy is taken because you did not want to hear that. I I wrote a book on this topic and uh, I sent a copy down to my parents. And um, when I sent it down to them, I I didn't hear anything from them. I I kind of was thinking they were going to call me back and give me some feedback, but I didn't hear anything from them. And finally they called me back to tell me about the cruise that they were taking. And um, as, uh, as we were talking, uh, they, they finally said, oh, hey, uh, we got your book. I said, oh, good, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. Uh, what'd you think? I said, uh, boy, you, you really uh, put yourself out there, didn't you? I said, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I did. I mean, that's, that's helpful for people to give them examples of what's going on in your life. I, yeah, I guess I did. Silence. We like the cover better than the first book. The first, book's, first book was so dark, the cover. But this, this one, we really liked the cover. I said, oh, good, great. So tell me about your cruise. That was it. That was the conversation. Now, uh, after that, Libby and I had some talks about it. No question, for a little bit of time, I was a bit irritated about it. I mean, if if one of my kids ever writes a book, I don't care if it's just one page long, and on the page it says one plus one equals two, I'll be calling up saying, hey, I just got your book. My goodness, I never thought of it that way before. Honestly, honestly, the way you boiled it down really is going to impact my life in a huge way. I I could see your heart throughout this entire page. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I would be like that. So certainly for a little bit, it was irritating because I thought about it. But I'll tell you what, 10 years ago, that would have devastated me. I would have been bitter for days and weeks. I would have been, but I'm not as much right now. Why is that? Because I realize that I don't need to be joyful dependent on somebody else's affirmation. When I feel that God approves of me, I can be free from seeking out the opinion and approval of others, though I like it when I get it. But I can be free, I can be free of that. This is just a very small, tiny example. Have you noticed how everybody's irritated in our country? I don't know if you've noticed it or not. You might be saying, oh, well, I'm not, I I don't have road rage. Are you irritated with Barack Obama? Are you irritated with the way the country is going? Someone's like, yeah, tell them, tell them. Okay, were you irritated with George Bush? Were you irritated where it was going? It's like older people, of course, there's always older people than me, though fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer. The older people will tell me that there was a day in America's history where you could vote for somebody And the person you voted for, if they lost, you actually slotted in behind the president because it was my president. No longer. It's like if you don't vote for him, it's not my president. It's all your fault. It's all your And we live in four years of constant irritation against the person who really is trying to do the best they want. Honestly, the president really is trying to do the best he can. It might not be good enough, but he really is trying to do the best he can, whoever it is. Yet we live in this irritation. We've got to constantly polarize and constantly listen to people on the radio or on the television that will make us more angry. Come on. Do you not see you were in bondage? You're not getting more 
more joyful. You're not getting more compassionate. You're not getting any more free. Yet we blindly accept these chains because that's the American way. Be irritated when you don't get your way. Psalm 119 says this. I will walk about in freedom for I've sought out your precepts. I've sought out your instructions. I've sought out your law. Interesting. Many of us, when we think that laws come our way, it means that we don't have a great life. No, when I understand the way God's going and I walk in his ways, I walk about in freedom. Nobody else wants me to be free the way God wants me to be free. Nobody. The government doesn't want me to be free the way God wants me to be free. Nobody. Cheer leads my freedom like God does. And if this is a new concept to you, this is why this is going to be the greatest six weeks of your life. I'm telling you, if you, if you really work hard on this, you are going to see green pastures that you thought only existed in Avatar. You're going to experience it from start to end. I want to be free from irritation. Another uh, way that you are free to be free is to be free from apprehension. To be free from concern over what people think about me. Concern over what happens if somebody finds something out of me. Concern about what might happen with the economy. Just general apprehensive second-guessing behavior. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine um, uh, needed to borrow my pickup truck. So he took my pickup truck to do something. For about 24 hours, I had his car, which was a very, what's called a tight ride. It's a Mercedes. So, uh, man, I'll tell you what, German engineering, you would think I would have had great time driving a Mercedes for 24 hours. I actually did not. I, I didn't like it at all. Um, when I came over here, it was over the weekend, so I had to drive it here to Crossroads. And... Um, you know, God loves those who don't come to 10 o'clock and 11.45. We all know that. We all established that. So you all know God loves you way more than those people. Another thing that God loves is God loves people who park far away. The farther away you park, the more love you get from God because God likes when newcomers across the can have a good parking spot. So I, I generally park far away anyway. But this day, I didn't want anybody seeing me in a Mercedes. I, I parked so far away, I had to get a cab to come up here to the front door. I, I don't want anybody seeing me in this at all. I, why is that? Because I don't want somebody thinking that I'm one of those televangelisty guys who's trying to fleece the flock, that I'm out, you know, in a Mercedes. I don't want anybody, hey, if you have a Mercedes, wonderful, God bless you, awesome, especially when I get to drive it. That's totally fine. But I, I, I have this apprehension. I'm constantly concerned. People are evaluating me. People are judging me. In fact, I leave I leave, and after I walk through a time zone, I finally get to my vehicle, and uh, just as I'm getting into that Mercedes, I see a guy come by who I know, and I'm like, oh man, he just saw me get in this car. This is not good. I immediately get out of the car. Hey, how you doing? Hey. I go over and talk with him and say, hey, Emmett, uh, just so you know, that, that's not my car. That's really not my, it's a great car, really cool, but that's just not my car. As I draw, I'm driving home, and I'm looking all around, who sees me in this? Who is thinking less of me in this? And I just realized this is ridiculous. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I've, there's nothing sinful about a Mercedes. I personally would not choose, I don't think I will ever choose to buy one. But nonetheless, riding in a friend's car who has that, I'm not doing anything wrong. And yet, I'm constantly wondering what people are thinking. It's a form of bondage, a form of being constantly apprehensive. 
Some of us are apprehensive, wondering whether or not we're going to get caught for something that we did. We're apprehensive that maybe not we won't get the, get the promotion. We're apprehensive whether or not she'll notice me. We're apprehensive whether or not the, the, the kid who took the car is going to actually crash in a wreck. And we sit up all night. We can't even focus on the Olympics. We're wondering whether or not our kid has crashed the car. We're apprehensive. We're constantly, our mind isn't going to joyful places. Our mind isn't going to healthy passion places. Our mind is going to what if? What if? It's just, and I'm not able to connect with God. I'm not able to experience His grace. I'm just apprehensive. And some of us might think, well, hey, you know, uh, bad things happen. And, and, and this is responsible. No, it's not responsible. It's, it's, it's burdensome. It's burdensome. And part of what God does when He gives us freedom, He helps us to see things the way they are, really are. He helps us to see ourselves the way we really are. I want to be free. To be free means to be free from illusion. Free from illusion. Many of us need to become disillusioned here today. We need to become dis. What happens with disillusionment? When your illusions are dissed. That's what it means. It means that there are certain things that you may be believing about yourself that are lies, that are absolutely wrong. They're illusions that you are not who you think you are. Can I tell you something? You know, our parents lied to us. They just lied. You cannot be whatever you want to be. I'm sorry, you cannot. I'm just, and, and any 13-year-old who says, what their, what's their dream? My dream is playing the NBA. You should be told immediately, kid, you are dreaming. Go to school and get a job instead. You're not going to do it. Honestly, like, oh, you killed that kid's dream. Good. More of those dreams need killed. The more people who sit around thinking, well, I'm going to be a sports star. I'm going to be an American Idol someday. I'm going to be, the more this illusion that you really don't have that good of a voice and that you really are never going to become 6'6". And not only that, but what's driving, the mechanism of driving you to fame and having people applaud you is in itself a burden, in is itself slavery. There's illusions some of us have. We think that we have certain gifts that we do not have. And it's not telling us you don't have those gifts. We become free when we really see ourselves for who we are. A friend of mine told me a long time ago, the hardest people to work with are those who are deluded about themselves. The illusions that we think that we're good at something and we're not, we think that something is, we think we have a limitation on us and we actually don't have that limitation on us. Whether it's a parent that told us or a friend that did or just a pattern of behavior that we blindly accepted, I've met people who say, well, you know, that's just, uh, my, uh, my mother-in-law, we laugh about this a lot. They'll say on their side of the family, well, you know, it's, it's the McDowell way. That's just the way we are as McDowells. No, you're not. I'm sorry. It's an illusion of some fantasy person. Actually, isn't a good person. When you refer to that, it's always in a negative. It's an illusion. That's not the way McDowells are. You're, you're accepting the illusion of a limitation. Well, it's... You know, I just like the ladies. That's, that's the way Italians are. You know, I just, just like the ladies. Well, you know what? I'm Irish. I just got to have a few shots every once in a while. It's just the way I am. Or, you know, um, I'm French. I just need retreat here and there. I just, that's, that's just the way I am. Hey, man, I crack on us Americans all the time. Equal opportunity offender. Just, you know go with it. But these illusions, the illu the, we, we blindly accept these limitations and these illusions that just are not true. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I would recommend this book, but I would recommend you not read this book in the next six weeks. 
primarily because you're going to get enough data on the weekend service and in your guide um, to, that's more than amply going to uh, stimulate you and bring you to a new place. But if you want to look in this deeper at some point, recommend this book. Here's what he says. The world is filled with illusions and pretense. We convince ourselves that we cannot live without certain earthly pleasures, accomplishments, and relationships. We become attached. We attach our wills to the belief that something less than God will satisfy us. We think, we think if we just accomplish that one big goal, then we will really feel content and be able to rest. So I really can't be happy until I get that next thing. I really can't be free until I get that salary. I really can't have joy until this thing that I've always wanted to happen comes my way. These are, these are illusions. Plenty of people have exactly what you have right now and way, way less than you have right now and yet are content. And yet we buy into a faulty illusion. This, this theme uh, goes throughout the entire Bible and actually through every spiritual great since the dawn of time. One of them was St. Teresa of Avila uh, who lived in 1500s, 1600s. And here's what she said. Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. A lack of really not knowing ourselves, of having an illusion. Now, these books you got when you came in, these are tools to self-knowledge, tools to break illusions. In past journeys, there's been upsides and downsides of every journey that we've had. Um, one of the unique things about this journey relative to others is um, when you go to your small group, you're not going to just be able to drive into the parking lot and before you run in, turn on the dome light and fill out some things in your book. So you go, hey, I did my homework. See, there it is. Things filled in. You will not be able to do this one. This is going to take some deep inner work. And uh, I, I just started looking at my guide and I'll tell you what, it's deep. Um, I think I know a lot about freedom and uh, I've, I'm learning a lot already. You are going to learn things about yourself that you had never thought before. Give yourself the blessing of coming into self-knowledge and, and, and eliminating illusions by fully engaging in this journey. This is also why the small group element is so critical, so important. Because other people can see things that we can't see. And other people can interpret things that we can't interpret. And so to go to a group when you've sat in something like this, when you've done your work uh, in your own, in your own uh, home, and when you've gone to a small group and heard feedback and seen what other people are experiencing and receiving truth from them, giving truth to others, it is a powerful, powerful. Your, your illusions are going to be dissed. You are going to get free. Great, great stuff. And final, final example just for today as we're kicking off. Being free means that I'm, I'm free from religion. I'm free from religion. Religion is any system that tells you if you do this and do that, then you'll get this. Yes, Christianity can be a religion. Buddhism, as you deny yourself, it becomes a religion. Eckhart Tolle purports a religion because you have to do this, do that, and you get that. Obviously, Rhonda Byrne and the Secret is a religion. Anything that says you don't have it right now, but if you follow my system and follow it dutifully, then you will get it. That is a religion. That is something that on the front end you think you're going to get to a new place, but on the back end it actually brings more bondage because it's all about working the system. It's all about working it. It's all about being obedient. And that's not necessarily freedom. One of the reasons I, uh, I wore this shirt today is, uh, first of all, I've never worn a Harley shirt on stage. One, it's the only orange shirt I have, so I figured, oh, you know, i got all this orange stuff here, so I, you know, I kind of match 
all this orange thing here. Uh, and secondly, as I feel kind of uncomfortable wearing something like this, and so I thought, well, that's probably exactly why I need to wear it. Um, because, you know, religion says pastors can't wear long sleeve t-shirts. That says, you know, you need to be like in a suit or polyester. You need to like, you, you, you know, you need to look the part and be a good religious figure versus being like everybody else. All kinds of people wearing stuff like this. Uh, well, you can't be like everybody else. You have to wear a robe or something that kind of sets you higher and above. This is one of the things that religion does. And even if there's a religion that, even if there's a religion where somebody doesn't wear different clothes, if you look at the religious figures, they all want to convey something of I'm higher and above you and beyond you. And you need me, you need me to intercede for you between you and God or intercede for you with what is really right and really spiritual. This is part of the death of religion. Now, sometimes what God does in human history is he will speak our language. He will meet us where we are. And the nation of Israel was in that place. And so he sort of spoke that language for a period of time. And, um, and Moses, Moses was an interceder for the Jewish people. And he would go up and interact with God. And he wouldn't encounter God's fullness, but he would encounter God. One time God says to him, he says, all right, I'm going to allow you to encounter some of my glory, some of my fullness. He puts him in a rock, tucks him in a rock, puts his hand, and passes by with his backside. Not that God has a hand, nor even a backside. God is spirit. But, but the idea is he's just giving Moses a small taste of his vastness, a small taste of his intensity. And yet even with that small taste, Moses looks radioactive when he comes back. He's glowing and he's got this veil over his face. And this veil is partially so people's cornea doesn't get burnt. But it's also partially for the downside of religion, which comes into much clarity, much more clearly, back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at how it, look at how it communicates this. Does this. Let's look out here. We're not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So what was a part, partial portion of what the, the veil was for? It was so that as, 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 as the glory or as the brightness would start to fade, people wouldn't have their faith rocked, that they wouldn't see that it was fading. So as it was fading, they could still have the delusion that Moses feels great and spiritual all the time. They could have the delusion of thinking that Moses never has any doubts. That's what religion does. It's got to put a veil over us. It's got to cover us, if you were like Adam and Eve, because we really live in shame that we're not as spiritual as people think that we are. And what the Bible is saying is that's a form of bondage. And God is taking us to a new place from where we don't need people who intercede for us. We go straight to God on our own. And so here's how the, here's how the story continues. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is good religious people. Not where the Spirit of the Lord is, there are great megachurch pastors. Not where the Spirit of the Lord is, there are best-selling authors that make people feel good and read their books and put them beside their bedstand. Not where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is goody-two-shoes behavior. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, who is writing this? Who's writing this in the Bible is a guy by the name of Paul, who's one of the spiritual greats of all time. He penned most of the New Testament. And look what he says. We all are being transformed. <laughs> this is the ultimate, quote-unquote, religious guru, and yet he is in the process of being transformed. No matter how great any message is for 65 minutes at Crossroads, 
you will not be fully transformed walking out of here. In fact, no matter how great any guidebook is or how great any six-week journey is, you will not be fully and completely free, entirely, 100%, because the journey of freedom is an ongoing transformation process. It's an ongoing process of stamping out bad ideas, stamping out illusions, stamping out, if you will, even, as we're going to talk about in a few weeks, things in the spiritual realm called demons that are constantly trying to enslave us. It's a constant process of being transformed, yet you can be more free right now than you were when you walked into this room. And you will be, if you engage in this journey, entirely more free in six weeks than when you walked in here and got a book. I want to cheerlead this process for you. I want to tell you this process is thought through. This is prayed through. This is prepared to be a blessing to you. Arrhenius, one of the early Christian leaders in the uh, second century, some people call him a bishop, even though there wasn't a classic Catholic structure back then. Arrhenius says this, the glory of God is a human being being fully alive. God shines the most when there are normal people who are free and are fully alive, who are unchained, who are not bound by, 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 by the things that you've been told, who are not bound by illusions that are just wrong. When you are fully alive, fully free, flying, God gets glory in a way that he wouldn't when people just simply keep the rules. You know, in ancient maps, sea maps, before Columbus sailed around the world, no one knew what existed beyond where the furthest ship went. In fact, on old nautical maps, it says, beyond here there be dragons. Because they believed if you went to a certain spot, you would just fall off the end of the earth. You would just fall off and you would, you'd be, you, you would be gone. We always think that if we haven't seen it before or we haven't experienced it before, we haven't heard about it before, it must not exist or something really, really bad exists out there. The same way it was in 1947 when the speed of sound had yet to be broken. When no one had gone roughly 760 miles an hour, when no one had reached Mach 1. First person uh, to do that was Chuck Yeager. But everybody was afraid what was going to happen. They felt like if you went that fast, there was some law, some scientific law that would cause you to instantaneously vaporize. That something weird would happen if you physically went faster than the sound that you were creating. Something in the cosmos would happen and you would, you would be gone. They felt that this was impossible. And if you actually did it, we would be breaking some law of the universe that would have ramifications. So in 1947, uh, before Chuck Yeager climbs into the plane, they, they believe they can do this. Uh, his colonel, the colonel who commissions him, says this to him. It says, nobody knows for sure what happens until somebody gets there. Chuck, you'll be flying into the unknown. Nobody knows what it's like to be free until somebody gets there. Bill, you'll be flying into the unknown. Jill, you'll be flying into the unknown. Lakeisha, you'll be flying into the unknown. Jawan, you'll be flying into the unknown. Chuck, you'll be flying into the unknown. Because probably nobody from your family of origin has ever gotten there. Because you've accepted the limitations that you've seen and have assimilated in your family of origin. No one's been there before. You may be the first. No one's been there before in the circle of friends you are in. No one's been. You will be the first. You may be somebody who sets a new speed, a speed of freedom, a speed to come to a place where incredible joy happens. God, that's what I'm praying for. I want new things to happen. I want things that we never thought possible to take place. I want chains that we thought we'd ever ha always have to live with to fall off. 
This is what I'm asking. This is the blessing and the glory I'm praying on everybody in this journey. Amen.